0: Thank you, Brother Alvin, for sharing. Definitely so many things in life can be objects, lessons for us. Again, this evening, uh, I'd like to share another aspect of the honeybee. If you're here as a visitor, I've been doing that every evening. Our title of our week is A Healthy Community of Believers, and there are so many, many lessons we can get from the honeybee. Tonight, I'd like to Give us a little bit of insight of the little bit I know of the, the idea of the swarming that honeybees go to, uh, go through. And that has to do with honeybees, uh, really multiply rapidly in the hive. And there comes a point when there's that many that the queen says, you know what? It's time we divide. Very, it just, these creatures are so amazing. So, I don't know how the signal gets out, but honeybees all get busy. They start quickly building some queen cells. These got to be bigger because queens get bigger. They build some queen cells and she quickly lays some eggs and these eggs hatch into larvae. And anyhow, when when they hatch into larvae, like all the other worker bees, they feed them the royal jelly, The only difference between the worker bee and the queen is that the worker bee gets royal jelly just a short time, uh, three to five days, where the queen gets it for the whole time she's a larva. So the worker bee gets royal jelly for a couple days and then they just get honey and pollen. The queen gets royal jelly the whole time she's a larva. That makes her a queen. The worker bees are females. But because they're not fed roll jelly all the time, their reproductive systems are only half created. So they can't mate. But the queens can. And so the, the, um, the queen who laid the eggs, you know, she's watching this. The larva's there. And uh, they go into the pupa state. They wax them over. And then everything's set. Now it's time to leave because they will hatch out. So... I don't know how it works. She leaves and takes about half the hive with her. And they go and they fly somewhere and land on a pile a tree. I suppose some of you have seen that already. My wife, she, she's not scared of honeybees. So one day uh, the neighbor called up. Say, there's a pile of bees in my tree. Oh, my wife got all excited. She quickly found some bee boxes and encouraged me to go along. We go over there and she takes a little bit of sugar water in a a little squeeze bottle or a spray bottle. And so we get there and she takes the sugar water. She starts spraying the whole lump of bees. I mean, the lump of bees is about this big. And she just mist them with sugar, which calms them down, just just really makes them docile. I'm not even sure why. I guess they're just happily eating or whatever. Um, And then what you do is is you set the box underneath this pile of bees, say it's in a tree limb, and then you cut the tree limb off, and you take this whole pile of bees, and you take it right above the hive, and you give it one big hard shake, and they all fall off. And uh, that particular time, they... A lot of them went right in, and we quickly put the top on. But there was bees all, and it was amazing. All of a sudden, all those bees just knew exactly where to go. They went around and just went in. I just, it just looked like what I imagined Noah's Ark. You know, they just all filed in one after the other until all the bees were inside. This is the middle of the day. It's like now we we'll just let them go. We won't move them tonight. Well, anyhow, we came back that night to pick it up. It's empty. No bees. Apparently, they weren't happy with what we gave them. So this, uh, the queen, what they do actually before they leave, this, this is really interesting too. The queen is too big to actually fly very far. And so while the last bit of preparing to leave, uh, the worker bees put her on a diet. And they, they make her diet to 70% of her normal weight. So she can fly. It's just amazing. And so now she can fly. So then they gorge themselves with honey. Everybody's leaving. Fill up. Fill all your buckets in your pockets. We're going for a ride. And then they go out in the tree. And, and then on the tree there, and no one knows, as far as I know, no one knows who, how the scouts, they have a number of scouts, self-appointed scouts, I guess. And when they're in the tree, they just stay there and the scouts go looking. Some go that way, some go that way, some go that way, some go that way. And they're looking for a good place to start a new hive. Now people have had amazing ways to do research and how this whole thing works. I'll tell a little more another night of how they communicate distance, direction, and all of that. They got quite a... Tremendous communication systems that put our GPSs to shame. Tremendous communication systems. But anyhow, leaving that aside, they go looking, and then they come back and they tell the rest through their communication that, hey, I found a good spot over there. And that one's saying, I found a good spot over there. And that one's saying, I found a good spot over there. And so they keep visiting, visiting. And then somehow, somewhere along the line, They decide, you know what? Your place is the best over there. We're all going over there. Um, So what are they looking for? They're looking for a dry place free from drafts. And if you ever want to, you you can actually set out. I had a friend, a brother from church who does bees, and he lost a number of his hives, so he set empty hives out there. And swarms found them. He got bees without paying a cent. They just came and moved in. So if you do it right, you can actually attract them. They've got to be a dry place, got to be free from draft. The entry size should be no larger larger than 80 centimeters. Now, if it is bigger than that, the bees will probably go to work and remodel right away and make that opening a little smaller. Just amazing. The entrance location uh, preferably should be on the bottom uh, cavity. And they actually look for it to be towards the south. So make sure... The openings facing the south. They like that. And of course, I don't know much about it, but sometimes the surrounding vegetation can really influence the bee whether they want to be there or not. So these scouts, they go and they do their communicating. And uh, one one researcher. He was watching this and he could tell, you know, he was watching when the bees would come back. You can actually watch them communicate. If you're really, really skilled, you can actually read their communication. And so he was reading their communication and uh, he, he could tell where this one place was. And so he found it and uh, he went and he said he's going to try something. So he poured water into the bottom and put about an inch of water into this hive or whatever it was. And then he watched. Sure enough... After a while, they start communicating about a different place. They gave up on that one. That one's no good anymore. Totally amazing. There are some things that are not understood. It's not understood how a specific bee gets elected to be a scout. It's not understood how a swarm gets the message of a preferred location and all go there together. They don't know how the swarm... Mostly bees who were not scouting are all led to the new location. Just it, how do they communicate that? You know, the ball bees about this big, a few scouts, just a few. How do they communicate to the queen in the center? She's always in the center. Uh, how do they communicate that? Nobody knows. It is just a tremendous, amazing communication. Anyhow, but it is interesting. They say sometimes they don't agree. Sounds a little like humans sometimes. Sometimes they don't agree and actually they will split off into two groups, sometimes three groups, sometimes four groups. You know, the scout said that's the best place. That, and they argued, they never came to a conclusion and so it's time, we've got to do something and so they split off. But only one of them get a queen. And so they go to their hive and as soon as they find out, uh-oh, we don't got a queen, That's It's over. And so, they need to go find the queen. And so, all those will finally come back again and be one swarm. I mean, there's so many lessons that we can learn from the honeybee. So many lessons. Now, (coughs) this is serious business. They left a working hive. They left a hive that had overwintered, maybe even a couple of winters. I mean, it was a good place. It was ideal and they went out to start something altogether new and so it's a really big deal that they make the right decisions because we all know decisions have consequences they say uh, i think it's in the state of new york they say that an old hive has 90 percent success rate from one year to the next now i am guessing by this time it's probably less we have such so many hives that bees that die off because of the environment we live in but a uh, a new hive only has 20% chance to survive so at its best only 20% chance to survive so it is really important for them to make a good decision find a good place to go and hopefully get busy right away and not have to do too much remodeling cuz they got to get busy and they got to build comb and all of those things yet if they find a hive and if you can do this an empty hive that already has to comb in the comb is empty you've taken the honey out boy that they're way ahead they're weeks and months ahead then and they really like that but it is it's serious business they need to find a place a good place and the scouts know what they're looking for one bad decision will probably end it all Tonight, I am going to just shift gears a little bit. I kind of, I'm kind of moving through um, our title for the week is a healthy community of believers and uh, we're moving through that. I'm going somewhere. I I have a goal, but I'd like to just kind of shift gears tonight a little bit and the title of my message tonight is simply Irreversible Consequences, Irreversible Consequences. Consequences. And I'd like to begin by introducing a man to you tonight. Um, It would be so nice if I could actually have this gentleman here tonight to share a testimony. I am sure it would captivate everybody's attention. And I believe if I could have that man here tonight, I believe people would travel miles and miles and miles just to hear him share his testimony. Now, I actually know where the gentleman lives. He actually lives in a really large community. But he's a very, very lonely man. Very lonely. A large community, but very lonely. No one, as far as I know, no one takes interest in his life. And you know, I... Tonight, I feel sorry for him. I would love to contact him, but where he lives in this big community, there's no landline. This gentleman has no cell phone. He has no email. And he has no internet service. The thing about it is that he has no means of transportation. Transportation. Now, this man is very old. I, I've actually known him most of my life. He's a very old man. But there's something unique. He has a memory. A very good memory. A tremendous memory. You know, I never really, I never got to know his real name. As far as I know, nobody knows his real name. We only know his nickname. All we know. All we know about him. This man has lots and lots of spare time, lots of time to think, and he spends probably all of his time thinking about the past. Now, wouldn't that be something if we could hear his testimony? I imagine he'd have a lot to say tonight. Tonight, his nickname is the rich man. The rich man, that's his name. He's an old man today. He lived a long time. I remember reading about him for many years. Nobody knows his name. We know his nickname, the Rich Man. He lives in a place where there's lots of other people. But as you know and I know, it's a lonely place. Very lonely place. I think if he was here to give his testimony, I think his message would be titled Remember. 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 So there he finds himself early on. And of course he talks to Abraham and he says, Could you send Lazarus just just to get me one drop of water? Just just one drop of water. You know, one drop of water ain't much. You know, it's only this much. All of this. He didn't ask for much. I mean, a man who never knew any want, not want at all, all of a sudden was just asking for one drop of water. And of course, Abraham said, it's impossible. There's just no way. There is no road between you and us. There is no path. There is no transportation irreversible consequence well then he said uh, and and, and Abraham goes on to say son remember your lifetime remember your lifetime and so I would suspect what is it 2000 years I have no idea oh by the way it was a real story I mean, it was a real life situation because Jesus said a certain rich man. So it wasn't just an allegory or a story. It was a real person. So 2,000 years. He's probably still remembering. He may well, well, first of all, he was uh, definitely a Jewish man. How do we know? He said, uh, send Lazarus to talk to my brothers. I don't want him to come here. Send him over there. And what did uh, Abraham say they have? Moses and the prophets. So it must have been a Jewish man. Must have been a Jewish man. And so, I, I, I like to imagine what he's trying to remember. I imagine he remembers sitting in the synagogue. Just like you're sitting here. He remembers that time when he sat in the synagogue. And he heard... The, uh, whatever it was, the scribes reading out of the Old Testament. He may well remember sitting in the synagogue. He may well remember special meetings. He may well remember the scripture being read out of Amos. Prepare to meet thy God. Remember thy lifetime. Prepare to meet the... I remember. Ah, oh, I remember. Oh, if only. I remember those words. Maybe he remembers going to the synagogue and hearing Proverbs thirteen seven. It said, I remember. It's, it, yeah, they did read that. There is that maketh himself rich, but has nothing. Hmm. Oh, if only. If only I would have just stopped. It's irreversible. My consequences are irreversible. If only I would have stopped long enough to think. Hmm. Maybe you remembered Deuteronomy 15.7. You remember the rich man It says he fared sumptuously every day and there was a poor man, Lazarus. Lying at his gate. He said he wanted to be fed by the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. It doesn't say he got them. I don't know if he got them. He wanted to be. That's, why they, that's what you did when you were poor and you couldn't work. You, they'd take you and lay you at a rich man's gate just hoping upon hope that the bowels, the heart, the inner emotions of the rich man would be moved enough to throw you a few crumbs. We're not told if this man gave him any crumbs. It says, moreover. It doesn't say, moreover, he gave him food. It says, moreover, the dogs licked his sores. And so now he's remembering. And he actually might remember. Oh, Deuteronomy. You know, what was that scripture? Deuteronomy 15, 7. I remember that being read. Thou shalt not harden thine heart nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Oh, let me move back. I didn't read it all. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gate. Ooh, that's right. That was... Why didn't I sit up and pay attention? That was Lazarus. Why wasn't I listening? Oh, while the the, uh, minister was reading... I was reading something else. I was thinking about my gold pot at home. I was counting my coins. I was thinking what I'm going to buy next. If only I would have sat up and listened. That was Lazarus. Now it makes so much sense. Why wasn't I listening? If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But now the decision is irreversible. The concrete has hardened. The fate has been sealed. but that's not the case for any one of us. Here we sit tonight. We have the splendid opportunity here the Word of God preached. We have the opportunity to think through these things rather than one day remembering. So if you're here, and you're still breathing, and you have life, where there's life, there's hope. You have opportunity. But one day, It's going to be irreversible. One day, the concrete will get hard. One day, the fate will be sealed. So my question is, are you saved? Have you been truly born again? And I pray that God would seal all the ears that are small, too small, to be converted. And would open all the ears that are old enough to be converted. Are you saved? Have you truly been born again? Are you accountable? Let me take you to another scenario. I was sitting with a young man, 19 years old. He was not right with God. He clearly said he's not right with God. He clearly said he would like to just enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Just just, I want to be a Christian one day. I want to be a real Christian, but I'm not quite ready yet. I said, sir, I said, you can't wait. You have no promise of tomorrow. He looked at me and he said this. I'm not planning to die yet. I was like, what? Hello? Really? Can it be? I said, the chances of you driving out this driveway and going up the road, the chances of you having an accident that would take your life is definitely a possibility. Possibility. I'm going, to take just, I'm going to take a Bible story. I'm going to just put it into a present day life story. Let's just do that for a little bit. Then we'll go to the other one. Come with me, and this is impossible. It's just a story. I made it up. Come with me. It's late at night. It's middle of the night. You walk with me, and we're going to step inside a house. Step into the side of the house and we're quiet because we know everybody's sleeping. So We walk into the house, we go into the first bedroom, and there's mom and dad, and they're there, you can hear, they're breathing deep. They're sleeping well, you don't have to worry, a little bit of noise probably won't wake them, and you go over to the other bedroom, and there's all the little boys, and of course they're sprawled this way and that way, and they're sleeping too and definitely nothing will wake them up. And then you go, oh, there's Johnny. He's 15. Yeah, that's where he sleeps. johnnys he's breathing real deep too. You don't have to worry. He's sleeping also. Now let's just step back and let's just watch them as they sleep. And as we're watching them, all of a sudden, we hear the Blast of the trumpet. And all of a sudden, toward the east, the sky splits wide open, and here comes the Lord Jesus. Well, now we're watching Johnny. Johnny's not born again. He wakes up with a start. He looks around. He says, what's happening? And all of a sudden, it dawns on him. Jesus is coming back. And you see him quick slither off the end of his bed, and he's trembling, and he, he's trying to get his mind together, and he can't think straight, and his his mind he can't get his thoughts together. And all of a sudden, everything gets quiet. And Johnny once more wonders what happens, and he goes over, knocks on his mom and dad's bedroom, no answer. No answer. You know, something actually happened almost like that. We had a lady in our community. She didn't do very well spiritually. Oh, she wanted to serve God, but she was most times separated from her husband. and She would do real well for a little time, and then she wouldn't do well. And she did not have the assurance of salvation. And anyhow, she tells us this story. She used to come over to our place sometimes, and one day she came over, and I'm not sure we should have been there, and we were. She came to the house, she knocked on the door, no answer. She looked out, and our vehicles were there. <gasps> Did the Lord come back? And I missed it. And she became all besides herself. Thankfully, it wasn't irreversible. That reminds me of a story that we read of in the Bible about the ten virgins. Very similar to that. Very similar to the ten virgins. they, They all slumbered and slept. They were all sleeping good. Who knows, maybe dreaming. And then, The bridegroom comes. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And they all wake up with a start. Five of them were ready, five were not. Now, five of them had their lamps and oil in their lamps. Lamps, the light of God in the heart. Oil, the Holy Spirit governing their lives, prepared. Five of them had salvation, the lamp of God. But I'm not sure what happened. There was no oil. So apparently they were not being governed by the Holy Spirit. So that reminds me of someone who kind of walked away from God. They once had the light. They once were walking with God. They once knew what it was like to be saved and have fellowship with God. But the oil got all. The Holy Spirit. (coughs) And so they say, please give us of your oil. And they said, no. You need to go buy. I imagine that was a frantic scattering and a running and a hurrying and running into the store and saying, hurry up, I need the oil. Throwing the money down and running as fast as they could, all five of them, up the hill. They get to the house where the wedding was and they begin to knock. Someone from inside. I never knew you. Irreversible, irreversible consequences. The fate was sealed, the concrete hardened, irreversible consequences. I want to take you now to another man. This man, as you all are familiar with, was out hunting. I know some hunters this week that came in hungry and cold. This man, too, came in maybe not cold, but hungry. He was very hungry. Esau was his name. And uh, he asked his brother for some food. Can I have some food? If you don't give me food, I'm going to die. And so his brother says, well, if you sell me your birthright. Now, selling your birthright was not a little thing. Making a decision like that was so stupid. Making a dis- careless decision, not thinking of the future. How would this affect my future? Food meant too much to him. Give me some of your red pot each. Well, if you'll sell me your birthright. What good's it going to do me? I'm going to die. I don't think that was true. And so he sold him his birthright. And, of course, as the story goes, then Jacob also stole his blessing. And do you remember the story as he comes in from getting his father the best venison, ready to get the blessing? He finds out that it was stolen also. And it says he began to weep. Over in Hebrews, it talks about Esau. And it talks about that though he sought it with tears, he sought it with tears. You know, there was it was irreversible. There was nothing Isaac could do anymore. It was irreversible. And though he sought it with tears, he couldn't find it. There are people today, just like that young man that I talked to, he just like to have the pleasure of going to the rodeos. Going to the rodeos. You mean going to the rodeos and sell your birthright? I don't understand. I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that. And yet, people, time after time, are selling their birthright for a little bit of red potty. There are young people who there's something that they want bad enough that they'll put off salvation. They'll just put it off. One day the fate will be sealed. The concrete will get hard. And the consequences will be irreversible. All for a little red, a little bowl of red pottage. Come with me into our church. Let's go off into a room to the side. A person that I had just met once, twice, knew very little about one day. He called me up. Can I meet you at the church? So come with me. Him and I go into this room. And uh, he shares his life story with me. His wife left him. had to admit that he was warned don't marry her he grew up in a godly home well yeah godly home in a godly church he was warned by his dad he was warned by his church ministers it's not going to come out well not a good idea we cannot recommend you marry her he married her she left him And he goes on to say, he says, please tell me, is it true that I cannot get married again? And so I open up the scriptures and I show him. I say, sir, I must tell you, if you marry again, the Bible calls it adultery, and no adulterers will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, then tell me, is it wrong to have two wives? I said, in the beginning, God created them male and female. A man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, not his wives. That was God's intent from the beginning. But he said, I can't grow old being alone. I can't grow old being alone. I said, you have no choice. The woman you are now seeing and having a relationship with. You need to repent. You already have committed adultery in your heart. You need to repent. He fell on his knees. And it isn't often that I've heard a growing man weep and wail like that man did. Sob and sob. His choice. His choices. As far as the choice he made early on in marrying the woman, it's what it is. But he does not have a choice now. That was probably a half a year ago. I just met him the other day. He continues to have a relationship with this other woman. Sir, one day your fate will be sealed. All for a little pleasure now. One day your fate will be sealed. One day that concrete is going to get hard. One day your consequences will be irreversible. Selling his birthright for a bowl of pottage. Come with me. Let's meet another man. This man was called of God to a special mission. Actually, this man talked to God face to face. He actually saw God and I don't know, was there anyone else that saw God besides him? I'm not sure. God, man can't see God and live. He was a man who one day had a staff and his staff turned into a snake and his staff ate up all the other men's, all the magicians' staffs, all the snakes. He put his hand into his coat and he brought it out and it was leprous. He stuck it in again and pulled it out and it was just fine. He prayed, he begged God to, That God would forgive the people. Sin. And God relented. What a man of God. What a champion. One day God said. Go speak to the rock. Go speak to the rock. Just a simple command. I mean that wasn't so hard. Just a simple command. Go speak to the rock. And in a moment. And in a passion. He hit the rock. The consequences were irreversible. He never got to go into Canaan land. Amazing. The concrete got hard. The fate was sealed. He never got to go into the promised land. Why? Why did this happen? Moses never, never dealt with his anger that man carried his anger with him. He carried his anger with him right, right to the end. And in a moment, in a moment of passion, he did the irreversible. Reminds me of a man, oh, probably 25 years ago, had a man that was, came into the area, I think uh, the Charity was having some kind of special meetings, and he dropped in there. He had heard him about Charity through some tapes. And uh, he stopped in there, and he needed a place for the night. So I invited him for the night, and he slept at our house. He was a man with some, uh, quite some serious emotional needs. Um, he was single, lived with his parents. Uh, he might have been on medication for his nerves, For depression, some of those things. And I kept in contact with him over the years. But there's one thing that he never got beyond. He had a terrible temper. A terrible temper. And sometimes he would just fly off the handle. One time, and of course sometimes he drank, one time he was drunk. His father, yeah, he was drunk. He wanted to go away drunk. His father pulled the car keys. He got mad. Blew his top. Went up to his little shack where he lived. He got the gun. He walked down. Loaded the gun. Went to pull the trigger. And the gun was jammed. So he just simply took the gun barrel. Started beating his dad over the head. And his mom. Today he's sitting in prison. His mom and his dad has nothing to do with him. His brothers, one's a state police, has nothing to do with him. He's a lonely, poor old man. A moment of passion. Just a moment of passion. Someone who never dealt with With the sin in the heart. Someone who never really got serious about God. Someone who really never said, God, I really need you to transform me. He knew his Bible. I mean, he knew end time prophecy like not many people know. And he's still out of the prison. He's writing letters to me. And he has it all figured out how the end of the world is going to happen. there's something wrong in here. But how many of us are not willing? You know, I know of fathers who are angry fathers. And in a passion, and in a moment, they fly off the handle. And they injure their children. And it is almost irreversible. Almost. Just a heated passion. Just a moment. For another story, turn with me to Matthew 25. <clears> Today <throat> we're talking about irreversible consequences. Matthew 25, verse 31. says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them from one from the another as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. You know what this reminds me of? If you are uh, familiar with Uh, animal husbandry, you have it with cows, you have it with pigs. They have this aisle for pigs. They have them run over scales. They run over scales and if you weigh this much, the automatic gate will swing over and you go to the right. If you weigh this much, it will automatically swing to the right and you go to the left. And so this pig, who's just an ignorant pig that don't know anything of what's going on, walking along and it swings this way so it goes over here and it swings this way and this is what I imagine or with cows they have it like that too. Um, Say a cow uh, with these uh, robot milking machines the cow can go in whenever she wants she's got this collar on with all the information that connects with the computer and if for some reason she doesn't give the normal amount of milk. Then the computer says, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. So when she walks out and gets to the gate, the gate will either allow her to go over to the other cows or if the computer said, this is a problem, cow, you need to check her out, the gate will swing over and she'll go that way. That's kind of what I imagine here. Here come the sheep and goats. Actually, I believe they all look like sheep until they get to the gate. And for some, it swings this way. For some, it swings this way. I'm glad, though, to know it's probably not going to be like that. But I'm glad to know that when I die, the moment I die, I know where I'm going to be. I am so happy and thankful. But I feel sorry for the people who don't. It's almost like they're walking across the scales. Is it going to weigh this much or is it going to weigh this much? That must be dreadful. So we have them, some uh, goats going to the... Left the sheep to the right. 34. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Oh, those wonderful words. Come, ye blessed of my father, and heard the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. When I was a, excuse me, for why I wasn't hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, ye you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, When saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. What beautiful words. What glorious words. What comforting words. I believe these are people who had the power and spirit of God upon their life, and they just went doing what was their nature, the will of God, everywhere they went. It was nothing extraordinary, it was just doing the will of God. They were happy, they were satisfied, they weren't fighting against their will because their will was crucified, their will was in line with the Father, that's the way they lived life. What a beautiful way to live life! There's some people who are really fighting with their will. Oh, I got to do this. I shouldn't do that. But to be just so sold out, completely surrendered to the will of God, that you just go through life doing the will of the Father. The other group, then shall we say unto them, on the left hand, can you imagine hearing those words? I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, for some people, it's going to be a complete surprise. There are some people so convinced they're doing the right thing. You know, I think of it every time you hear of another suicide bomber. Before the smoke has ever disappeared, I was lied to. I was lied to. They told me I'd have so many wives over here because... I killed so many people. And the moment that fuse ignites and the bomb goes off, that moment before even the smoke has even left, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Can you imagine? should make us really, really, our hearts go out to people like that. Jesus goes on here in verse 42 for I wasn't hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. They were their lives were not in line with the will of God. They were not doing the will of God. They were doing their own will. I was a stranger. You took me not in naked and you clothed me not sick and in prison and you visited me not because doing these things, just doing these things is not what gets you into heaven. But I believe it's somebody who has had their will aligned to the will of the Heavenly Father. They're living with a clear heaven over their head. Their sins are forgiven. They've been empowered and anointed by God. And their will is in line with his will. These people here, their will is not aligned with his will. 44, then shall they also answer saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger? Sure, of course not. If you didn't have the Spirit of God upon you, you didn't recognize the will of God. Then shall they answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall I answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And forty-six irreversible consequence, and these shall go away into ever. Lasting. How long is everlasting? Everlasting. Eternity. Eternity is the time that it takes a bird to take a speck of dirt from the earth, fly to the sun, and then fly back and get another speck of dirt, and do that And do that until the whole earth is moved to the sun. And do that a couple of times. If the whole earth is moved. And guess what? Eternity has only begun. Man has tried to wrap their mind around eternity. They can't. We're finite beings. We can't. Everlasting eternity are words we cannot comprehend. But God gives us a good idea about as close as we can get of the difference. He says our lives are like a vapor that appears for a little bit and then quickly vanishes away. So short. Just watch tonight when you start, you go out and you see a vehicle running. How far do you see the vapor? Not very far. It disappears. That's our life. And that still doesn't. When we talk about everlasting eternity, that still hardly even hardly can we comprehend it. Today is the day of opportunity. Our fate is not sealed. The concrete has not got hard, Has not got hardened. We're in the land of the living. The last chapter has not been written. Tonight is your opportunity to get it all taken care of. All taken care of. How often have I heard the testimony? I was convicted for quite a long time. I would go to bed and I was afraid. You don't have to be that way. Don't have to be that way. Doesn't have to be. The prodigal son, he found himself in the pig pen. He was hungry. He was alone. He was forsaken. He had nothing. But what was he doing? He was thinking about his father. I mean, what a good place to go with your mind. You know what? Over there. You know, I had it good. Over there, the lights are always on. Over there, there's always plenty of food. Over there, there was fellowship. Over there, there was everything. You know what? I'm willing to leave this behind and I'm willing to get up and I'm willing to go. He thought through the possibilities. One, One said it this way, one half of all the ills of life, one half of all of the ills of life come because men are unwilling to sit down quietly for 30 minutes to think through the possible consequences of their actions. So here we're sitting tonight. So what if what if my will is not aligned with the Father's will? So what if oh my life is a vapor that appeareth for a little and then quickly vanishes it away. So these thirty minutes that I sit here and think hmm, I better do something about it. So I'm sitting here. I know I got sin in my life. That in the back of my mind, I question, wonder which way the sorting gate would swing. You know, one half of the ills of men are that they don't stop for 30 minutes and think, what would be the consequences? I still shiver over the fact that this young man that I talked to said I don't plan to die that was probably a year ago he's still not planning to die because men are unwilling to sit down quietly for 30 minutes to think through the possible consequences of their actions so what am I? What if I am one of those fathers who have not had the passions, the carnal passions of my heart really crucified. What if I am one of those the half of the ills of all a man. Half one half of all the ills of life come because men are unwilling to sit down quietly for 30 minutes, think through the possibilities of the consequences. If you've not been born again, if you wasted your life in sin, just do what the prodigal son did. I will arise and I will go to my father. I will arise and I'll go to my father. Come with me into the prayer room in our church. A young man who once had walked with God. He knew God. He loved God. He, 12, 13, 14, he was passionate about God. And then things came into his life that he he didn't deal with. He didn't deal with. It became very bitter. And eventually, he became very carnal. And actually, he just simply threw it all away. He went out in the world and he lived it up. He said, I'm going to go out and try it. tried it all he's now 22 years old we're in the prayer room and he begins weeping and wailing over the bitter bitter results of sin the devastation of sin he wept he was begging of God to forgive his sin he was begging of God to clean the garbage out of his mind He was begging God to give back the years that the canker worm had eaten. Today, that man's walking with the Lord. But his testimony is, oh, the consequences of a wasted life. The consequences of a wasted life. Come with me. As Mary, she walks into the house. She finds Jesus. She sits down behind him. She begins to wash his feet with the tears of her eyes, wiping them with the hairs of her head. She found her Savior. The Savior that I believe she had been saved by. Come with me. As we go back many, many years... There was a man one day. Hebrews says he was a preacher of righteousness. It was Noah. He's building the ark. What did it take him? 100 years? 150, 20 years? I'm not even sure. A long time. I'm going to just suppose that he was preaching the gospel. And the gospel would have been, if you want to be saved. You need to recognize God. You need to believe his word. He said it's going to rain upon the earth. And they all scoffed. All scoffed. I mean, my hat goes off to that man. He saved his wife and his children. Nobody else, but he saved his wife and his children. Some of us have a hard time doing that. So he preached, and he preached, and the ark became bigger, and more finished, and more finished. And one day, all these people who probably were scoffing him saw these animals walking two by two into the this ark. I wonder if their conscience didn't start. This is unusual. This is weird. This is strange. Who ever saw the like? Maybe some of them thought, "This is really silly. This is this is. I'm going to tell my friends. You ought to all come watch this. This is a circus." Till one day. The door went closed. It says, God closed the door. What a comfort. What a safety. The ark of God, where God closes the door. And then it started raining. I'll let it up to your imagination what it might have looked like. I don't know. Do you think that a lot of people went running over there and tried to somehow jump up onto this ark? I can't imagine. I hardly even want to go through it. You know, just imagining. The water's coming up. I mean, it's raining and raining and raining. Well, maybe it rained so hard that it annihilated the people immediately. I don't know. Maybe they were swimming around. Maybe they're grabbing on trees. Maybe they're climbing to the top of trees. I have no idea. But they scoffed to the very end. Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. There we have that word again. Remember thy lifetime. Remembrance. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first that there shall come in the last day's scoffers walking after their own lust. Remember, we said that. There are going to be people who in the face of opportunity, they're going to scoff. They're going to laugh. But the laughing eventually will stop. Verse 4, And saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the Father's fell asleep, You know what that reminds me of? I'm not planning to die yet. But that reminds me of where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation for they willingly are ignorant willingly are ignorant. There's a young man raised in a really beautiful godly home. I have no idea today. He's 22 years old. He's an atheist or a professed atheist. He still goes to church every Sunday morning. He dresses just how his parents want him to. You would never know it. I was at the church preaching, and I knew about this, but I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he looked like. And after the service, I went over and talked to him, and I don't know what he said. Oh, I said, are you an atheist? He says, yeah, I'm an atheist. I can't believe it. You're an atheist? You sat under your father's teaching all these years, and you're an atheist? I said, what do you do? I mean, just look at the Bible. Things were prophesied and they came to pass in detail. And it's still a mystery to us of all the things that we really understood, all the many prophecies that right to the detail. I said, what do you do? I mean, I have not saw many people die, but I've heard a lot of testimonies. And there's these professed atheists who lived like an atheist all their life. And at the end, they started crying out, Oh, God, save me! Who was that atheist? One of the, one of the uh, most professed atheists. He was dying. The doctor was there. And the doctor heard him say, Oh, help me. Dr. Wendt said, What can I do for you? There's nothing you can do for me. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. And it was over. And then you have these godly Christian people who love the Lord. And time after time, their testimonies are. They reached out. They, they saw something. They're, they're, uh, they're, they just, a bright smile on their face. And their hey, face was lit up. I said, what do you do with that? I said, anybody can make up stories. And I'm thinking, this man's willfully ignorant willfully ignorant. We had a long discussion. At the end, I said, you know, sir, I want to tell you something. Just because of our discussion here, I want to tell you, I do not think any less of you. I said, you're a man who's created in the image of God. You have a soul that will live forever, one place or another. I care about you. He looked at me and said, are you sure? Willfully ignorant. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That's what we're talking about. Noah. Willfully ignorant. Willingly. They're, they're willingly ignorant. There's people, what the Peter was saying here, there's people today that aren't remembering They're not remembering Noah. They're not remembering. They don't stop long enough to think through that whole thing, how that worked. Scoff and scoff and scoff and scoff until, whoa, water's coming. Uh Uh-oh, I'm too late. That's the way it works. They're willingly ignorant. It goes on to say, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, by the same word. Remember the story I made up about the 15-year-old boy? sleeping in the room, all of a sudden. Some people think that, well, there's a good chance I'll get the 11th hour opportunity. Better not figure on that. Not from what this says. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing, that's our God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, hm, will come as a thief in the night. To bank on somehow lemon conversion is very unlikely. Will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, be diligent. What is it? Half the ills of man are because they don't take 30 minutes to just ponder the consequences. It's saying, Wherefore, beloved, seeing then that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Going back to the beginning, I am sure we could track quite a crowd, Brother Elvin, if we could bring the rich man in here and just give his testimony. Today, he is still looking for that one drop of water. Never told that he got it. One drop. One drop. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening again, we just stop, we pause. We realize tonight that eternity is forever life is short and it behooves us it behooves us to consider where we at I pray God if there's any old enough here this night that the Holy Spirit is convicting they make their calling an election sure Father I pray if there's any here who've been born again, but sin is packed away in the back closet. Nobody else knows it. You know it. Pray that this would be the time to deal with it. Father, if there's any of us here that has, have passions, carnal passions, that have never been crucified, though we hate them ever so much, the concrete is not hard. The fate is not sealed. And the consequences are not irreversible. I pray that we would take the opportunity so that we could go home tonight, lay our heads on our pillows with sweet peace, knowing all is well with our souls. Thank you. prayed pray it in Jesus' name man